John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples just before he's betrayed. And he, uh, he gives them information about the Holy Ghost that we don't have record of anywhere else in Scripture. None of the other, uh, none of the other gospel writers tell us about this uh, uh, discourse or the things that he said. And, uh, and I want to draw your attention to, to a couple of the things that, uh, that he made mention of. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 13, he said, How be it when he, the spirit of the truth, uh, I added the word the in there because it's there in the original Greek. English translates spirit of truth, but it's the spirit of the truth. See, the world thinks that truth can be relative. But there is only one thing that is the truth. And that's the word of God. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of the truth, is come, he will guide you into all the truth. Same article is there again. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. I want you to see that phrase. He will show you things to come. He will show you things to come. What does that mean? He will show you things to come. Certainly he's talking about things that have not yet come to pass. He will show you things to come. Now how is he going to show you things to come? He hadn't changed subjects. He said, how be it when he, the spirit of the truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. So he's talking about the truth. He's talking about the reality of that that we know of as the word of God. Now, they didn't know what he was talking about at the time. John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he said, Father, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is the truth. Again, that Greek ar the article is there that doesn't translate or isn't translated over into the English. Thy word is the truth. But what did they know about the word at that time? They didn't have the revelation that Paul gives us. They didn't have the revelation that Jesus revealed to Paul who wrote it down and gave us a record of it. He, they didn't know about who they were going to be in Christ Jesus. They didn't even know about righteousness. I, I don't guess we can hold that against them because most Christians who are saved don't know. Most Christians, those who are, have made Jesus the Lord of their lives, and have become children of God. They don't know what they are, who they are as far as righteousness is concerned either. But at least the Bible tells us. They didn't know because nobody had information. People don't know today because they reject the word of God that says we're made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in other words, the word gives us an account of the truth. But it's up to us to believe it or accept it. So if the Holy Ghost that Jesus is talking about is the spirit of the truth and the word is the truth, then we could say that the Holy Ghost is the spirit of the word. Couldn't we? Howbeit when he, the spirit of the word, has come, he'll guide you into all the word. In other words, he'll guide you into the reality that the word of God gives to us or shows us based on the finished and completed work of Jesus on the cross. He'll guide you into all the truth. He'll guide you into all the truth. Now, what does that mean to you? Well, it depends on what area uh, of life you have need in. If you have need of, of help in finances, in the area of finances, the Bible says that Jesus was chastised for your peace. He was made poor for your sakes so that you through his poverty might be made rich. Now, when did that happen? happened on the cross. Folks, Jesus wasn't poor here on the earth. He had a treasurer. When it says he was made poor, it means he paid the price for poverty on the cross. That you through his poverty, that price that was laid upon him, that punishment that was laid upon him on the cross, paid the price so that you need not bear poverty yourself. So if you have lack in the areas of finances, then the truth is revealed by the word of God that you've been made rich. Now you may look at your bank book and not feel rich. Your bank may not be convinced that you're rich. But the word of God says you've been made rich. So you can take that. You can have access to that by faith, just like anything else that Jesus has accomplished for you. Right. So what does that mean about the Holy Ghost? That means the Holy Ghost will lead you into all the truth in the area of prosperity and provision. What about righteousness? Well, the Bible says we were made righteous by the blood of Jesus so the Holy Ghost and the, and the Word of God reveals that to us. So the Holy Ghost, who is the Spirit of the Word, will guide you 
into the reality of your righteousness from the word. If you'll accept it, feed on into accept it. In the area of healing, it means the Holy Ghost will guide you or teach you or lead you. Into the victory of healing over sickness in your body. Because the Bible says Jesus took your stripes, took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. And with his stripes, you were healed. So the Holy Ghost, when Jesus is saying he'll show you things to come, what it's literally saying is what Jesus is trying to get across. And they didn't have any understanding about it. I'm sure John, looking back, is is having a much greater realization than at the time that he first heard these words. But what Jesus is saying is the Holy Ghost will show you how to get to the victory that you need. He'll show you things to come. He'll show you things to come. He'll show you what steps you need to take. He'll show you what adjustments you need to make. To realize the victory that Jesus has already purchased for you. He will show you things to come. I think too many times people get uh, kind of a uh, pie in the sky attitude toward this. They think he's going to show them what's going to happen in the stock market tomorrow. We think naturally. We think carnally about these things. But And I'm not saying the Holy Ghost can't show you what's going to happen in the stock market. But it's not going to happen first and foremost. He's going to lead you into the realities of the word. He's going to lead you into experiencing the victory that the Bible says is yours. Notice the next verse, verse 14. He said, he shall glorify me. Notice what glorifies Jesus. He said, he, the spirit of truth, the spirit of the truth, the spirit of the word will glorify me. How? By leading you into the victory that the word declares is yours. Do you know that Jesus is glorified when you walk in everything that he purchased for you? Let's look at that from the other side. How happy do you think Jesus is to know that he paid the price for sickness Sin, sickness, and poverty. To know that he paid that price. It's a finished work and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so much of his people, those that make up his family, argue about whether or not they belong to him. Argue about whether or not healing belongs to them. Argue about whether or not righteousness is really made unto them. Argue about whether or not God really wants everybody to prosper. I don't know about you, but if it was me sitting in heaven... I'd be shaking my head saying, what in the world are those people doing? I paid the price for it, and they're arguing about whether it's theirs. I made it clear to them in the Word. So you can understand the other side. When the Holy Ghost leads you into the victory that Jesus purchased for you, that glorifies Him. Notice that your victory glorifies Jesus and not your defeat. Notice your victory glorifies him and not your hardships. Notice it's not the trials that glorify God. It's the victory. In other words, it's not the process that glorifies him. It's the end result of victory. John said it this way. He said, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. He didn't say this is the hardship. He didn't say this is the trial. He didn't say this is the process. He said, this is the victory. That overcomes the world. Even our faith. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine. And shall show it. Unto you. Now what do you think Jesus is talking about. When he says receive of mine. You think that could be at least include. The the revelation that we received from Paul. About who we are in Christ. He shall receive those things. As I provide for you. Through my death burial and resurrection. And shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Do you realize there's nothing the Holy Ghost will hold back on? There's nothing the Holy Ghost won't reveal to you. There's nothing the Holy Ghost, there's no area of victory that the Holy Ghost will not lead you in. If Jesus is telling us the truth. He said all things that the Father hath are mine. Well, you know, the church world has great discussions about the power and the the ability of God. With God, all things are possible. Oh, yes, Pastor Mike, God can do anything. Well, if God can do anything, Jesus said all things that the Father hath, that would include his ability, are his. They belong to Jesus. And the Holy Ghost will receive of his and show it unto you. 
In other words, there is no power of God that the Holy Ghost will not lead you in if you'll trust him to do it. There is no healing power that God will withhold from you and the Holy Ghost will be your guide into that healing power and that healing victory. If you'll allow him to do it. Turn with me over to uh, 1 John chapter 2. The same author is writing a letter to the church. We don't know exactly when John wrote his letters. We know when he wrote his gospel. We assume that he wrote his letters about the same time because he wrote about some of the same themes. So this would be later in his life, many, many years, some 60 years after uh, Jesus went to the cross. And notice what he said, 1 John chapter 2, I want you to see two verses, verse 20 and verse 27. He said, but you, verse 20, Excuse me. He said, but you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, who has that? If he's talking to individuals, if he's talking to certain persons, certain people and doesn't belong to everybody else, then the Holy Ghost did us a tremendous disservice by saving this letter for us. Because by saving this letter for us, God is showing us clearly that he who is no respecter of persons that inspired John to write this to an individual, the same thing belongs to every individual. Or else it shouldn't be part of the, of the scripture, the Holy Scriptures. But the fact that the Holy Ghost inspired it to be written, knowing full well that, this, that the letter would be saved, had to intend this to belong to all of us. So he's saying to every believer, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. There's not one thing that you'll ever need to know that's not already on the inside of you because of the presence of the Comforter, the Spirit of the truth. Notice verse 27. He said, but the anointing. Now, the word anointing is the same word unction in verse 20. So I don't care which one you use, the unction of the Holy Ghost or the anointing of the Holy Ghost. You could use and you could translate verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. You translate verse 27, but the unction which you have received of him abides in you. They're interchangeable. I don't know why the translators picked one word in one verse and and the same word in a different verse for this translation. But they're the same word. Look it up for yourself and find out. Same exact word. So this anointing or this unction, whichever word you prefer, which you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing or unction teaches you of all things and is truth. Here's the same thing in the Greek and is the truth. He's the spirit of the word. So he's got that anointing since the truth is always the same. This anointing, this unction from the Holy One has got to be the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of you. This has got to be the Holy Spirit, the comforter that will teach you or guide you into all the truth. John 16, 13. Well, it makes sense since John's talking about them both. He's the author of both of these. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is the truth and is no lie, even as, it says, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Now, let me t- let's, uh, let's think about what this is. Let me tell you, first of all, what he's not saying. He's not saying you don't need anybody to teach you the word. That's not what he's saying. Because I would submit to you that John's letter, his these uh, three letters that he writes, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that he writes to the church, he's teaching the people the Word of God as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write. So he's not saying we don't need teachers in the body of Christ. He's not saying we don't need ministry gifts to teach us the Word. He's not saying that at all. He's saying you don't need anybody to teach you what God wants you to do. You don't need somebody else to tell you This is what God's plan is for you. Why? Because that's the work of the Holy Ghost. The work of the Holy Ghost is to guide you into all truth. To guide you into all the truth. Well, how is he going to be able to guide you into all the truth? Through this anointing or this unction, whichever word you prefer. Through this anointing or this unction. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. He said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, that sounds great. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, don't you? You should. How's he going to do that? Verse 16. The Spirit himself 
King James says itself, but he's not an it. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So how is the Holy Spirit going to lead the sons of God? By bearing witness with them through their spirit. Not bearing witness with their mind. Not bringing thoughts to their mind. Bearing witness with their heart. Not by impressing upon their bodies or causing some circumstance to happen in their life as a sign or a signal from God, this is the way to go. But he bears witness with our spirits. That bearing witness with your spirit is what John calls the unction or the anointing. Different ways to approach it, but he's talking about all the same thing. This is how the Holy Ghost will guide you into victory through that inward witness. He'll guide you into victory through that anointing. That anointing will show you what God wants you to do. He's the guide, not somebody else. I don't understand people asking other people what they ought to do. I never have figured that out. How in the world is somebody else supposed to know what I'm supposed to do better than me talking to God? I never have been able to figure that out. But boy, they're on every street corner. They're in every church service. Oh, Pastor Mike, pray for me. Let me tell you my situation. Tell me what you think about this. What does it matter what I think about this? I'm not the Holy Ghost. Well, I had a dream. Let me tell you my dream. Tell me what you think about it. I think you probably had too much to eat before you went to bed. I don't even need to hear the dream. Because if you don't know what it is, it's not the Holy Ghost guiding you. Because notice it says you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. It didn't say you guess. It didn't say you wonder about all things. It says you know. In other words, the Holy Ghost leads you by what you know. I've only had two dreams that I can remember that were from the Holy Ghost. And I knew as soon as I woke up what they meant. I've had a lot of the dreams I woke up thinking, what was that about? Well, the very fact that I don't know what it was about means it wasn't from God. Whatever else was going on, it wasn't from God. You have an unction from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. Not you're guessing at all things. I think too many, too many Christians are guessing and asking people what they think, looking for the answer that they really want in the first place so that then they can be justified to do what they want to do already. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Now, it's interesting the Holy Ghost moved into service earlier in the way that he did because uh, uh, because this is the way that I was impressed to go in the service tonight. And it kind of it kind of fits together. I remember um, Brother Hagin telling a story about uh, when he was pastoring. He uh, pastored three different churches in uh, Texas. All of them were in uh, South Texas. And uh, one of the churches he was pastoring, they were all small churches. It was before the Lord really sent him out and, and he entered into what God really had for him to do. And uh, but but he was beginning to learn. And there were some things that the Lord was beginning to reveal to him from the word about who we are in Christ and, and Paul's revelation primarily. And um, he said that uh, he was pastoring this little town, uh, little church in this small town. And he said right around Christmas time, just a couple of weeks before Christmas time, he said there was this fellow that came through. He got off the bus and he was a minister, a traveling minister. And Brother Hagin knew of him. There wasn't real good friends with him or anything, but knew of him. And so this guy came by the, the, the church, and the parsonage was right next door to where the church was. So he knocked on Brother Hagin's door, and uh, they greeted one another. And he said, uh, Brother Hagin said, well, what are you doing here? Again, remember, it's just a couple of weeks before Christmas. And he said, uh, well, what are you doing here? He said, well, I was just passing through town and thought I'd stop and say hi. Brother Hagin said, well, come on in. If you don't have anywhere, if you're not in a hurry to go anywhere, stay with us for a day or two. So he did. And um, uh, middle of the week, so um, uh, Brother Hagin said the Lord spoke to him and said, uh, I want you to do two things. First of all, I want you to invite him to stay over and preach on Sunday morning. Take up an offering for him and then send him on his way. And secondly, I want you to give him that $10 that you've been saving for your family Christmas. Now, when you can have a family Christmas for $10, you know how long ago we're talking about. And Brother Hagin said he argued with the Lord about that. As a matter of fact, um, when, if I remember the story right, thinking a little bit more about it, he had him preach on Sunday morning and he's starting to take the offering for him. And as he takes the offering for, for him and then turns the service over to him while he began to minister, that's when the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to give him that $10 so you've been saving for Christmas. 
And so the Lord is beginning to, to deal with Brother Hagin, so told him specifically, just flat out, here's what I want you to do. But Brother Hagin said he spent the rest of that service arguing with the Lord. Lord, that's the only $10 I got. If I give him that $10, we're not going to have Christmas. I've been saving that for months. I'm going tomorrow to buy presents for the, for the family to get us a Christmas tree. If I, if I don't have that $10, we don't have a Christmas. Finally, by the end of the service, the Lord said, well, I've already told you what to do. You tell me whether or not you're going to obey me. Finally, Brother Hagin gave in after the service. We gave him the offering, gave him the $10. The, the minister, the visiting minister then said, said, Brother Hagin, he said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. He said, I was trying to get home. And this is as far as my bus fare would take me. I got off the bus the other day, a couple of days ago. He said, I had no idea what I was going to do. He said, but the offering will get me home. And the $10 will give me a family uh, a Christmas for my family. He said, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Brother Hagin said, he just smiled and said, well, praise the Lord. We're glad we could be a blessing to you. Helped him find the bus the next day and went on his way. Well, the end of that story or, or the next thing, uh, the next part of that story is they didn't have a Christmas. Brother Hagin's family didn't have a Christmas. He said, we didn't have any money. That was all the money I had. It wasn't like, and, and a lot of people would think that the end of that story is somebody's going to come by and bless them with something really big and he's going to wind up with more than what he gave and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't happen. They had a very, very meek, meager Christmas that year. No gifts for the kids. Nothing for each other. They didn't have anything. A couple of months later, Brother Hagen was called to the home of one of their church members. And this church member had been sick, had, had contracted some kind of condition. And, um, and the doctors had pretty much given up on him. He had prayed for her over and over and over again, but it just gotten progressively worse. And um, finally, it was just kind of the last leg type thing. And so he got a call. And as they got in the car, there was uh, there was somebody else that was with him. One of the deacons of the church or somebody was with him that that, that went over to the house um, to pray for this lady. And um, Brother Hagin said when he got in the car, he said he heard what he thought was an audible voice. After he heard the voice, after he heard what the Lord said, he asked everybody in the car, did you all hear that? They said, hear what? What are you talking about? Well, he realized that it, it was something that seemed to him to be audible, but it wasn't. So he said this. He said, the Lord said to him, when you get there, don't pray for her, don't lay hands on her, but go stand at the foot of the bed and say, come out of her, thou unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus. And the Lord said, and I'll heal her. Well, Brother Hagin then asked the crowd in the car, the, the, his wife and the deacon in the back seat, did you all hear that? They didn't. So he realized it was something that was just the Lord speaking in him, in his own spirit. And so he got to the, uh, got to the sick bed, and this lady was, oh, she was in such a condition. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was a tumor that had grown so big that you could see it through her skin, and it was just this great big purplish mass and just nasty-looking thing. Like I said, they'd pray for her over and over again. Everybody's expecting that, that they're going to pray for her again, maybe anoint her with oil or something like that, as the Bible instructs. Brother Hagin went around to the foot of the bed, raised his finger, pointed at her, and said, Come out of her, thou unclean spirit, in the name of Jesus. Well, the deacon in the room, standing there in the room with him, said that something passed him. Later on, he said, Brother Hagin, when that thing left her, it passed right by me. It went by me and out the window. Well, within just a matter of a few moments, she's feeling good. She's feeling fine. They went out of the room and left Mrs. Hagen there with her to help her get dressed. She came downstairs, had a big meal with them. No trace whatsoever of the condition. She'd had this thing for months and months and months and months. Doctors had done everything they could do, had given up on helping her. Now she's completely well. They get back in the car sometime later after staying there and fellowshipping with her for a while glorifying God for his, good, his goodness and the works that he did. Got back in the car and the Lord spoke to him again in what he thought was an audible voice. He thought everybody else had heard it too. It was so loud and so strong in him. But the Lord said, if you hadn't obeyed me with that $10, I couldn't have done that today. Brother Hagin said, it had been several months since that $10. Christmas has come and gone. So he said, what $10? And the Lord said, that $10 I told you to give to that visiting minister. At Christmas time. 
And Brother Hagin remembered. Remember what a struggle it was to turn loose with that $10. But the Lord said, if you hadn't obeyed me in, with that $10, I couldn't have used you here today. Now, can I ask you a question? What does giving somebody $10 have to do with the power of God to set somebody free from sickness? Would somebody explain that to me? I don't see over here in John chapter 14 where Jesus said, He that believeth in me, the works that I do shall he do also if he obeys me with the $10. I don't see that. What did the $10 have to do with it? You remember verse 20 of 1 John 2? But you have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. There are some anointings, there are some unctions. Again, I don't know which word to use. I don't know which word's best to use. Sometimes I like to use one word, other times I like to use the other words. But there are some times where the Holy Ghost will impress upon you to do something that may seem totally unrelated to what you have a great need for in your life. But what he's doing is he's guiding you into all the truth. He's guiding you into the victory that you need. I told part of a story this morning about what the Lord did to me or for me um, in Bible school. First month I was in Bible school. What I didn't tell you, I'm, I mentioned just briefly, is how he got me there to begin with. My dad and my mom divorced when I was a junior in high school, primarily because my mom told my dad that, or really after talking to the Lord about it, told my dad that I deserved one year of peace. In my last year in high school, so she said, I just wanted you to have one year where there wasn't fighting in the house. So she finally agreed when I was junior in high school, she, or the summer before I uh, entered my senior year. She agreed to the divorce that he'd been wanting forever. And so they got divorced. So back then, people didn't get divorced. There was one other kid in the whole high school. We had a high school of 2,000 kids, uh, ninth through 12th grade. So it was pretty good sized, decent sized at least, for Birmingham, Alabama. And there was one other kid in the high school that, whose parents had divorced. I mean, it just, people didn't do that back then. I'm sure that didn't mean everybody got along, but you just didn't solve your problems with divorce like everybody does today. And so there was some stigma attached to that and that kind of thing. Well, anyway, through the process of time, um, within the next couple of years at least, my dad remarried. And... Um, um, Then they were married for, um, well, let's see, it would have been 72. I left in 80. They would have been married for about a year and a half before he died. He died in um, April of 1980. And I left for school later on that, uh, at the end of that summer. And so for uh, that period of time that they were married, she had sold her house and they had pooled resources or whatever they did and and uh, she moved into to my dad's house. I didn't really see him a whole lot during that time. Um, he didn't he didn't want to see me too much. I don't guess. I mean, you know, they're newly married people, and I'd, I I don't know. I'd see him once every couple of weeks, but it's not like I'd go hang out over his house like I had done some before. And I think you can understand that it wasn't that uh, anything was ever really said. I just never really felt comfortable going anymore. So um, so in the process of time after my dad died. She made it real clear to us, us meaning my brother and I, that uh, uh, that the reason my dad set things up the way that he did, he had a will, but he set it up so that it wouldn't go through probate. And he said, she said that he set it up that way because he wanted to make sure that nothing of his ever came into my hands or my brother's hands. Well, I didn't believe that to be true. And I was carnal enough not to appreciate hearing it from her. And boy, I mean, there was some. Um, there would be times where I'd hold my brother back because he was going to go kill her. There'd be other times my brother would hold me back because I wanted to go kill her. It's a good thing we never both wanted to kill her at the same time because there's no telling what would happen then. But I mean, it was just a real difficult time there for for a period of time. And uh, and I never really knew what my dad had. It wasn't like you know it would have been set me up for life or anything like that. But. Um, the thing that bothered me more than anything else was the things that she said that he said that I know he didn't. Looking back at it, I know he never said them. But she would say things that, that he said uh, about what he didn't want us to have and how he thought we were worthless and all this kind of stuff. So it, it made for some, some bad feelings and bad relations. 
Well, I was uh, driving through town, and there had been a meeting. As a matter of fact, um, I had gone to the lawyer. We, my brother and I investigated what can we do to, to break this thing uh, from being done the way that it is. And the lawyer said, well, you can fight it and you, you might win. It just, it's kind of a coin toss. There's really no, the way that it was set up, there's really nothing that you can do and have assurance for, for any kind of win. Well, that was what I thought was my, our last avenue. And so I'm driving back from the lawyer's office. And man, I'm mad. I am so mad. I'm doing everything except dog cussing this woman. I'm in, in the car by myself just talking to the Lord. And I'm doing everything except cussing this woman. And uh, don't don't remember exactly why I wasn't doing that, but I guess I'd grown enough spiritually at that point not to do that anymore. And uh, and that's when the Lord started dealing with me about forgiving her. And he just said very, I just said, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And he said, forgive her. And to me, that sounded like an audible voice in the car. And it needed to be loud and strong. Because I wasn't going to listen to anything still and small at that point, if you know what I mean. So the Lord started dealing with me about forgiving her, and I did. This process of time, I did. I mean, I just, I agreed even before I got out of the car that afternoon on that drive. Okay, Lord, I will forgive her. But it was just simply doing what I knew the Bible said to do. I had no emotions attached to it that were positive. I had a lot of negative ones. But, but I started praying for her, and that's what the Lord said to do. The Lord told me, okay, now you've forgiven her, pray for her. What am I supposed to pray for, Lord? Pray that I'll bless her. I don't want you to bless her. Why would I pray a prayer that I don't want you to answer? And the Lord brought back to my remembrance where he said, love your enemies. Do good to those that persecute you. Well, that sounds all nice and good when we're teaching on the Beatitudes, but for goodness sakes, real life's a different thing, isn't it? We think so. Without dragging this story out too much, I wound up forgiving that woman. And that had everything to do with God moving on my behalf to get me to Ramah. It had everything. And I knew it at the time. I knew when the money came in. There was somebody that called my mother. There was a, I was standing in faith, believing God. The, uh, the only ones that knew it was my mother and myself. Well, I guess my brother knew it. Maybe, yeah, my brother would have known it. And I was supposed to have the money by a certain date. And that date came and went. And I'm home and the money didn't come today. And today's the deadline. And my mother came in. She said, because uh, she knew what I was believing for. I went to bed believing for the money. Woke up in the morning. It wasn't there. That was the day I was going to move. So she came in. She, her face was fallen. And she said, well, Mike, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, Mom. I'm believing God. Maybe the deadline wasn't today. Maybe that's just what I imposed upon myself. I don't know. I'm just going to keep believing God. She came back in about 20 minutes later. I'm just laying in bed uh, early in the morning. She came in about 20 minutes later, and she said, Mike, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? She said, so-and-so called. She mentioned a lady's name that we had known for years. She called, and she said, does Mike need money? She said, what do you mean? My mother's talking to her and answers her back. She said, what do you mean? She said, well, I woke up this morning, and the Lord said to give Mike X amount of dollars. And it was just the amount of money that I needed to pay the tuition at school and to move and get the thing done. And she said, what is that about? And then my mother told her the story about how I'd been believing God for months and months and all this kind of stuff. And so she got excited that God had used her and she's heard from God and this was all going to work out right and all this kind of stuff. And so she came in and told me the story, and I started packing. I got ready, and I left. It was a day late. I was a day delayed. But I got there on time. I knew just as soon as she came in and said, you're not going to believe this, I knew what had happened. I had a witness in my heart even before she told me what was going on. I knew that the money had come in and it had come in because I'd obeyed God to forgive my father's second wife. I knew it just as much as I knew my name. There are things that the Holy Ghost will lead you to do that you may think are unrelated to what you really need. But it's the Holy Ghost guiding you into all the truth. See, we like to pigeonhole things. We say, Lord, I have a financial need, so teach me about finances. And then God will teach you about walking in love. I don't want to walk in love, Lord. I need finances. And God will teach you about walking in love. Okay, 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 Lord, I'll walk in love, but I really need the finances. 
And we don't realize that the walking in love is directly connected to the finances. And the reason he's teaching us about walking in love is because we need the finances. Same thing's true where healing is concerned. We say, Lord, I need healing. Teach me about healing. Teach me about the healing anointing. Teach me about the healing power of God. Teach me how to receive from God. He'll teach you about something else. There was a, a fellow in my brother's church. This happened many years ago. Uh, it was a black gentleman. And uh, he had been in a part of my brother's church for about five or six years, I guess, if I remember the story correctly. And uh, he was a um, kind of do-it-yourself mechanic. And so he was working on his car, and there was a uh, there was a place. He had a great big yard. Everybody has a great big yard down in Alabama, and uh, compared to here at least. And uh, there was a little place where there was a dip. There was a little ditch that was uh, kind of flattened out. And so what he would do is he would park his car. He'd get one wheel on one side of the ditch and, and uh, the front wheel, back wheels on one side, front wheels on the other side. And he could get down in the ditch so he didn't have to have a lift. And just real perfect situation for him to work on his cars. He'd kind of built it up down there underneath and padded it and made it real nice. And so that was his place to bring his car whenever he needed to work on his or whatever car he's working on. So he's underneath this car and uh, something happened and, and uh, there was a spark and he hadn't drained the gas tank. And so there's still gas in the tank and gas in the engine. So this uh, this thing basically blew up on top of it. He's got his face right here under the engine, and the thing blew up on top of it. And it burned him. Uh, let's see, I think it was uh, something like 70% of his body had third-degree burns. Well, you start getting up into percentages like that, and they don't give you any chance to live. I don't know what the percentage is that you can live, you know, but but it's it's pretty much in that territory. And so they rushed him to the hospital. His wife came out and saw what was going on, and she got the paramedics out there as quickly as possible. They stabilized him as much as they could, and they started giving him saline and started doing these, uh, these uh, um, oh, I don't even know what they're called, but they do these packs where they put on your skin, but they have to replace them. They, they irrigate the skin and, or irrigate these patches that they put on your skin. Well, he's got these things all over. I mean, it burned all of his clothes off, and so he's got these things on just about all of his body, just about the whole of his body, certainly the upper part of his body. And um, so he's in the hospital and the doctor's doing everything he can. They're coming in and running in and out every few minutes and, and uh, re-irrigating these things. And they have to go back for more of these saline patches and, and more of the solution and stuff. And it was just a real, real serious touch-and-go situation. And so the, the nurse was, uh, was having to uh, replace so much of these, these uh, patches over such a wide area, she couldn't bring enough in at one time to last more than a time or two, you know, a replacement of time or two they're having to do these things every five or ten minutes and so i mean it's it's draining their resources they're they're scrambling for everything they can get a hold of and uh, and this type of thing it wasn't a burn unit it wasn't specializing in that so they weren't so uh, well equipped for it i guess so anyway as uh, as she ran out the nurse ran out there was always somebody there working on one part of his body while somebody else was attending to the other part and trying to replace but there was a moment or two not very long but just a few seconds where there was nobody else in the room and it wasn't supposed to be that way, but it just happened that way. And in those few seconds, Jesus appeared at the foot of his bed. And Jesus said to him, Jesus pointed to him and said to him, because you obeyed me in the tithe, I've come to heal you. Now, the backstory of that was, as I said, he'd been in my brother's church for five or six years. And God had been dealing with him about tithing. And my brother taught it. He taught what the word had to say about it. And, and, uh, and he'd resisted it for year after year after year. And finally, just about six months before this accident had happened with the car, he had finally given in and said, okay, Lord, I'm going to just obey what you said to do about the tithe. He'd been in disobedience for five and a half years or so. And now for six months, he's obeyed what God told him to do about the tithe. Now, Jesus appears to him in his hospital room points his finger at his head and says, because you obeyed me with the tithe, I'm here to heal you. Touched him right there on the head and disappeared. Now, can somebody tell me what the tithe has to do with healing for your body? I mean, can we say that God only heals people that tithe? Well, folks, I've had people healed that refuse to pay their tithes before and after. Maybe if you tithe and are a big giver, bad stuff won't happen to begin with. Is that how it works? Of course not. You can't buy the things of God. Well, then what does the tithe have to do with it? It has to do with obedience. 
Why did he obey? Because he had an unction from the Holy One. We don't realize, I think so often we fail to recognize the benefit of conviction. We think conviction is a bad thing. Because here's the Holy Ghost trying to tell us or trying to impress upon us, trying to direct us to stop doing something that's either harmful or sinful. Well, I guess we've decided that we want to do those harmful or sinful things, so we don't want him telling us what to do. But conviction is the leading and the guidance of the Holy Ghost. He's guiding you into all truth. This fellow began to pay his tithes because of conviction. He finally yielded to it. And then Jesus is standing in his hospital room, touches him on the forehead, and then disappears. Well, the nurse comes back. One of the nurses come back in just a few seconds later, and she's going back in on the one side, whatever side she's working on, and she starts peeling these things off of his shoulder, and she stops and she says, well, my goodness, I don't understand this. There's skin growing here. It's just a little patch of skin that wasn't here before. So she irrigates it. She goes about her business and she irrigates this thing back in. The other nurse is now working on the other side. This nurse pulls off some patch somewhere and she says, I don't understand this. It looks like there's skin where there wasn't skin before. Every time they pulled off a patch, they'd find something that wasn't there before. They're running back in and out of the room now, excited, hollering to everybody, doctor, doctor, come see. Because every time they pull off a patch, there's new skin there. Over a period of about 15 or 20 minutes, he's got whole new grown skin, brand new grown skin. No scarring, no evidence whatsoever except one little spot somewhere. I don't remember where it was. It seemed like it was on his arm. There was one little spot where there was a scar, a discolored scar. He said, I use that as my remembrance for how good God is. And what does tithing have to do with that? But you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Would that qualify as the Holy Ghost showing you things to come, you think? I do. I think sometimes the Holy Ghost is leading us to take care of things that will have an impact on us with future events and things that we haven't even considered taking place yet. That's why it's so important for us to learn the unction of the Holy Ghost. Smith Wigglesworth said that the Holy Ghost is given, the reason Jesus left and uh, left us a comforter is so that we could do the same miracle works as he did. For what else other than the manifested power of God will convince the world that Jesus is risen from the dead? He said the reason that the church doesn't operate in these things as we should is because we haven't recognized the importance of that unction from the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the same things we're talking about. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. How's the Holy Ghost going to lead you? Well, if you had a need in the area of healing, he may have you do something related to healing or he may have you do something that doesn't seem even remotely related to it. But it's all the Holy Ghost leading you into victory. It's all the Holy Ghost leading you into victory. I've started praying, Lord, teach me. Holy Spirit, guide me wherever you want me to go. I used to be over here on the finance or healing or whatever area. This is what I need. Forget about that stuff over there. We'll take care of that. Make me rich, and then I'll walk in love. Now, we don't really say things like that, and I never said that to the Lord, but that's kind of what we think, isn't it? I've had people say, Pastor Mike, I want you to agree with me for healing because I want a testimony. I can't agree with people for healing for a testimony. If I'm going to be a testimony later after something happens, why shouldn't I start being a testimony now? I can be a testimony for walking in faith or standing in faith when something's not going right, can't I? I think that's the same thing. I think that's people trying to dictate to God, here's how it's going to be. I need you to work on this little area right here. Forget about anything else. Work on this right here. And sometimes what people need to do is they need to grow and mature spiritually. All the while that they're believing for the healing over here. But you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. I can't tell you what you ought to do, but I know this. I know there is a path to victory. Let me show you one last scripture. One, uh, we'll close with this. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
I love this scripture, but I can't stand how people mis- misapply it. In my opinion, this is one that's almost as bad as Paul's thorn in the flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Notice it says in verse 13, there is no temptation. The word temptation means test, experience, or adversity. He's talking about pressure, trouble. There is no trouble taken you, but such as is common unto man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, what I can't stand about what the church does to this verse is that they interpret this to mean that God's behind not only the test, but he's behind how much you can be tested. God's in this thing. He's teaching you some way or another. Folks, the Bible never says that God teaches you in any way other than through the word by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That means correction, meaning God doesn't correct you through circumstances. He corrects you through the word for for doctrine, for uh, reproof, for instruction in righteousness. I left one out. There's four different words. I'm not sure which one I left out. But there are four different words for correction. That's what it says. For correction in righteousness. Where the Bible says God chastens those that he loves. That word chasten is the word correction. In 1 Timothy 3.16. How does God chasten you? Not through circumstances. Through the word. How does he instruct you? Not through circumstances. Through the word. You mean God doesn't bring trouble into your life? Not if the Bible's true. God's not the author of trouble. The devil has that part covered. Well, then what does God do? God has made a way through the finished work of Jesus that no temptation that the devil brings, and it's all common unto man, there's no temptation that the devil can bring that's greater than the power of God in you. It's, I used to have this idea when, when this verse would be talked about in the Baptist church that I grew up in. I used to have this idea. It was like God had the devil on a choke chain. He's this ravenous dog waiting to chew you up. And God's got him on a choke chain holding him back. Now, he'll let, you, let the devil get close enough to chew on your foot, but not to chew it off. So he lets him, gives him a little bit of rope, and then pulls him back. And that's how so many Christians look at this. Because God won't allow the devil to tempt you beyond that which you're able. Well, bless your darling heart. He knows how weak you are. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying all the temptation of the devil, all the trouble that the devil brings, doesn't even compare to the power that you've got in the name of Jesus. That's the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God is you've got more than you'll ever need no matter what the devil does. And through the temptation, God makes a way for you to escape. As far as I'm concerned, the whole key to that verse is the way to escape. God's faithfulness is the power to escape, but there's always a way to escape. The power to overcome in the name of Jesus. But the question is, how are you going to overcome this particular battle? I think in every situation, there's a way to escape. How are you going to figure out what the way is? That's where the Holy Ghost is going to guide you. He's the one that will guide you into all the truth. And the truth is, you've been made more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. If you believe the Bible, it's just so simple. Things get complicated when you try to put your own ideas on it. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. And Jesus already told us that everything he had, everything the Father had was his. The Holy Ghost would take what was his and show it unto you. There's not one area that you have need in that the Holy Ghost won't guide you into victory. Now, the guidance that he gives you may not look like it's taking you to victory. But it always does. Sometimes he'll lead you the long way around. But it's always the path to victory. Sometimes it's a direct line. Sometimes it's an instant journey. Those are fun, aren't they? And rare. But whether it's a long journey or a short journey, whether it's an easy way or a hard way, it's always the way to victory. 
It's always the way to escape the work of the enemy against you. Oh, how important it is for us to be a people led of the Holy Ghost. How important it is for us to learn that inward witness, that unction, that anointing that we have from the Holy One so that we know which way to go, so that we know what to do, so that we know what to take care of. I think too many Christians get used to to ignoring the leading of the Holy Ghost, that when they finally realize that's God telling them what to do, it was like, oh, wow. Well, I knew that a long time ago. Yet they're out there searching for answers when all the time the Holy Ghost is trying to get them to do what will bring them into victory. Your victory is on the inside of you. You know what that means? That means healing is from within. Not from without. Healing doesn't come from out here somewhere. Healing doesn't drop from the sky. Healing is from within. And you make contact with that which is within through that spiritual force called faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for guiding us into all the truth. Thank you that you are the spirit of the truth. And the word of God is the truth. Guide us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Show us what we need to correct. Show us what adjustments need to be made, whatever area they may be involved in, whether it seems to us to be relevant to our greatest need or not. Show us, Holy Spirit, the path to victory. Show us how to be a people of love. Show us how to be a people that walk in forgiveness. Show us how to be a people that are sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. We declare by faith that we have an unction from the Holy One and we know all things. And that unction, that anointing within us teaches us all things. Shows us what to do. Shows us the path to take. Thank you, Father, that you're leading us into victory. That healing is ours now. It's not going to be ours when we see it or feel it. Healing is ours now. We declare that we're being led into the, the reality, the realization of that healing by the Spirit of God day by day. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, whoever it was earlier in the service that the Lord had me command you to sleep, I'm going to remind you, you've been commanded to go home and sleep tonight in the name of Jesus. You can either yield to that or resist it, but you've been commanded to, to sleep in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.